You're listening to Secrets of Data Analytics Leaders. Retouching the same components of our system that we've already touched is not a bad thing. It will make them better. So it's not really a lot of work to create uh, three tables with 10 columns in each table. It's not really a lot of work to write the ETL to do that. It's not really a lot of work to expose that to a BI semantic layer. Hello, everyone. This is Wayne Eckerson, your host for the Secrets of Data Leaders podcast. The theme of our show today is just-in-time design. That's the practice of designing working software in small increments to support a business-defined need or story. Just-in-time design, as well as just-in-time testing, is an integral part of the Agile software methodology. In fact, you really can't do Agile without just-in-time design. To help us understand the nuances of just-in-time design, we have with us today Aaron Fuller, a longtime data architect and member of Eggerson Group's consulting network. Aaron has a keen eye for transforming data into effective analytic solutions. He leads teams of highly skilled data professionals who plan and execute agile projects to support data warehousing and analytic needs. Welcome to the show, Aaron. Thanks for having me, Wayne. To help explain just-in-time design to our audience, we're going to play a fictional scenario. Let's pretend that I have the worst eating habits imaginable and I need a personal chef to look after my food consumption. I love junk food and would rather eat lunch from a vending machine than prepare a meal in advance. So Aaron, given this scenario, how would you solve my problem and how does this relate to data analytics? Okay. Yeah, thanks, Wayne. Uh, so it, the good thing here is you've identified that you have a problem that needs to be solved. So we are going to uh, talk about how we can get a new arrangement here for you for your lunches. Uh, and uh, we can make some some comparisons here definitely between that and our uh, our data warehouse BI analytics efforts. So first of all, I'm going to give you a couple of options here. Uh, we can plan this out in two different ways. One is that we could do a big design upfront approach and talk about eventually what kind of service you'd like to have. And so in the course of doing that, uh, we come up with the idea of having Wayne's Cafe. And Wayne's Cafe is going to be this great place where Wayne and his colleagues and friends and family can come and have lunch. They can also prepare themselves breakfast and snacks. It's going to be a renovation in Wayne's house of the kitchen and the dining room, and it's going to involve a great deal of upfront effort. But in the end, we're talking about having a, basically a restaurant for you, Wayne, in your uh, in your house. And, well, that uh, sounds like so, a big ordeal. <laughs> well, oh, it's a big ordeal, but it'll be fantastic once it's finished. The problem is, in the meantime, for the next... Uh, about nine months, you're going to be eating out of the vending machine and, and going to Wendy's and, and McDonald's. So um, that's that's option one. That's kind of our big design up front. Option two is that we, I can sit down with you, and I know you have very limited time. You have a job to do. And so while you eat your lunch today, we could talk about what kind of lunch you want to, to have tomorrow. And maybe we can get you something like at least peanut butter and jelly on nice bread, uh, some kind of fruit, uh, your favorite chips, that sort of thing. And as of tomorrow, we could have something in front of you and you could start 
improving. And then maybe the next day, we'll, we'll talk some more. We'll figure out the, the plan for the rest of the week. Uh, we'll plan maybe a salad or two in there. We'll plan in uh, uh, maybe a turkey sandwich. And then we'll work our way up towards things like pasta and any kind of other fancier dishes that, that might require more preparation. And, you know, as we go along, we're going to continue to spend more time talking about this eventual uh, place that we want to get to of Wayne's, uh, Wayne's Cafe or Wayne's Bistro. So given those two options, uh, which one do you, would you prefer? <laughs> well, the idea of a personal restaurant just for me with all my friends and family, it's very enticing, so enticing that I might be willing to wait nine months, but to be honest, uh, this this food issue is such a problem. Probably need to get started right away and and start small and work in, incrementally. And and I think that that's the situation we we find ourselves in a lot of times. And this is this is where you know I think that it's a very very strong uh, relationship here between agile planning and just in time design. Uh, we, we really need to, to lead with the, the concept of agile planning, which is that we shouldn't be taking months and months and months uh, up front when we actually already know a fair amount about what we need. Uh, we directionally usually know what we need relatively quickly. Uh, initial projects can be, uh, can be figured out pretty quickly. You can feed the backlog, and maybe it's not the perfect thing, the perfect plan, but uh, for one thing, there really isn't a perfect plan. And if we had gone through the process of designing out Wayne's uh, Cafe or Wayne's Bistro ahead of time completely before we did anything, I'm afraid that at the end of the nine months, you would, uh, you would have something different in mind. You know, life circumstances may have changed or, uh, or you may have a different diet than you had. For some reason, uh, there you know, there's all thing, kinds of things that could have changed during the nine months. And for another thing, we learned so much about you making your meals, bringing you a peanut butter and jelly sandwich, and seeing how you like it. We learn about you about what kind of bread you like from that, and then from that, we can build on that understanding and continue to deliver you better and better value over time and incrementally. Design what you need. We need the planners to be on board with the idea that, uh, okay, we know that we're going to invest in a value stream here, and we, we can invest and get things going uh, and get work going up front, and then that goes perfectly into taking a just-in-time design approach uh, for the Agile team itself, which I think is really uh, one of the absolute keys to having a successful Agile approach is that uh, you're, you're designing things just in time. You're not figuring out um, a complete menu for Wayne's next nine months um, ahead of time. You, we're going to figure out the, what, what this week's uh, lunches need to be like and design them specially based on maybe uh, the seasonal ingredients that we have and, and your personal preferences for the week and, and who we know is coming to visit and their dietary preferences. And so there's all kinds of reasons why we shouldn't even, we shouldn't even really think about setting the menu nine months ahead of time. So uh, I get it. Um, you know, the agile approach makes a lot of sense. And I think most organizations have adopted that to some extent. Uh, some maybe are still in the midway between waterfall and agile. Some call it scrummerfall. But you, you uh, 
presented two concepts. Uh, one is the just-in-time design and the other is agile. And my understanding is that those are two completely inextricable things, right? You can't do agile unless you're doing just-in-time design. You certainly can't be be truly agile. You know, you can you can say that you're doing agile. I've I've worked in situations where where we had uh, quote unquote user stories that were to design a data model, for example. Well, that's not a user story. You know, they were doing Scrum, but they had but they had broken everything up into the the usual swim lanes of work and these silos of work that they were used to. And they had a data modeler. And so they wanted to feed their data modeler stories about data modeling. But that's looking at things from the side of the producer, not the consumer. And Agile is all about looking at things from the side of the consumer. So the JIT, or just-in-time design, is really about taking a, a, a user scenario or story, something that the user wants built, that they want to see, feel, touch, taste, right? And then defining what that is in a sprint and building it then and there as much as you can in that two-week sprint and showing them something that's been tested and works. That, that's, that's how you define just-in-time design. It is. And you have to go for small, small components. And that is something we have to get more comfortable with, is the idea that value isn't always delivered in, in releases that contain uh, dozens of tables in the database and, and many, many different reports and visualizations and all of this. Sometimes we can deliver value in small increments and, and it will build up uh, uh, over time as we do that. So I think, and, and, and the other thing is that we, in order to do that, though, we have to accept that rework is, is our friend and really talk, re touching the same components of our system that we've already touched is not a bad thing. It will make them better. So it's not really a lot of work to create uh, three tables with 10 columns in each table. It's not really a lot of work to write the ETL to do that. It's not really a lot of work to expose that through a BI semantic layer and then create a couple of uh, reports and, and a visualization off of that. If we take it in small in smaller increments, then we can deliver value and and do it iteratively and and then design just in time. So that so that scenario you just presented would would that be a logical component you know of one sprint? Absolutely, yeah. Absolutely. And, and it may depend. Uh, I mean, of course, consultants, we always love to say it depends. Uh, it depends, uh, obviously, on the sourcing of the data and how much cleansing and transformation needs to be done. But sure, I, I have uh, uh, implemented sprints that looked like that. And it's, uh, it's very often a big confidence builder as well. Um, and I find that if we can take this just-in-time design approach, then it naturally pushes us into the just-in-time requirements, and that ties us together with our Agile planning team. And then we're really getting the story about what the user needs very close to the time when we're going to be delivering something to them. And we also know that from our experience in, in data work that when you get uh, something in front of a user, oftentimes they will then say, oh, thank you, that's what I asked for, but that's not actually what I needed. The faster we can get, get to that, the faster we can iterate on that, the, the better. 
But if we set up a big design up front, you know, within an agile process, say doing something like I talked about where we assign data modeling stories to a data architect, then we are, uh, we are totally hampering our ability to respond in that way. Right. So is this what you meant by rework that you present something to the user and they're like, yeah, that's what I asked for. It's not what I want. So now you have to rework it or, or part of it, right? That's part of it. The other part of it is, is just the idea that we're just going to have to come back and revisit things many times. Um, I've had, uh, I've had managers who've reacted very poorly to plans I've put, put in front of them where we were coming back to say the customer dimension in um, four different sprints out of six sprints in, in a roadmap that we put together. And, and, and there was very good reason for that. And we're incrementally building out their customer dimension, but they're going, isn't it going to be more efficient if we just have to do customer wants, you know? But that, that's just, it sets you up for a lack of parallelism, um, for, you know, lining everything up uh, in, a, in a very long line of, of deliverables. And, and pushes you back into the, the old ideas about how we, we break down our work. And I think that's the other important thing is we do need to think about as team members on a scrum team or an agile team or whatever you, we, we have to be willing to be more flexible in our roles than we have in the past. Just to go back to that example uh, of the customer, are you saying that you're not going to build the customer dimension out in one in one go or one sitting because you're adding new columns and attributes or are you refactoring what you've already built or both? Yes and yes. So for example, maybe our first couple of sprints, we are releasing functionality for the marketing department only. And so we are just adding more attributes the second time we touch it, uh, ones that we didn't have time to do in the first sprint. Uh, and then maybe uh, in one, maybe in the third sprint, we're pulling in uh, sales data. Now we have the sales department involved. We may actually have to refactor what a customer means, so so that we can keep our our dimensions conformed and share share a customer dimension dimension here. And that may mean then introducing change management back into uh, what's been delivered so far for marketing. Now, that's why it becomes so important to have automated regression testing, automated build, you know, build automation and deployment uh, automation, all of these things that allow us to iterate and deploy things very quickly. Um, but it also highlights the need to have uh, the data governance set up so that uh, people can collaborate in the, on the business side with this, because we can't just go changing the uh, the definition of a customer in the, in the data market or the data warehouse uh, on, on the marketing department without looking at what, how that impacts them. Well, yeah, I can imagine this might torture the business. I mean, wouldn't it be better just to get all the parties together up front and say, and I've seen companies do is lock them in a room until they come up with a definition of new customer, active customer, lost customer, et cetera, et cetera. You know, there's a time to do that. There, there really is a time when you, times when you have to do that. But I use that sparingly, and one of the reasons I use it sparingly is that I'm not sure that it's uh, it's always all that successful in the long term. I find that the agreements that you come out of there with uh, they get leaky over time, and people find the outside cases. Uh, you know, once they've left the room, 
and they bring in, you know, they bring in so-and-so who wasn't able to be there and they take a look at it and it's still not done, you know? And so to get something like that, that enterprise definition done, done in one fell swoop is very difficult. Yeah. So I think there's a time when the, when the, when the project may require it. I mean, it, you know, if you're talking about say a financial executive dashboard and every department has to be in total agreement on this one particular dimension, uh, for for anybody to use it, that's when you employ that. But if if you can avoid it, it's not, it's better to do it incrementally, I think, and and practice change management over time. Yeah, I can see that. You know, we are in the age of agile and moving fast, failing fast, refactoring. I think people are starting to get used to those concepts. But sometimes you can work yourself into a dead end, right? Or, or not. I mean, what, what are some of the liabilities of this approach? And I'm thinking more about things that aren't so uh, user-centric, like data integration tasks or data architecture, you know, uh, that do take long swaths of time that may not be as customer-focused and centric. And, you know, you could start to iterate yourself into a corner and then maybe you need six months to, to refactor your architecture. And maybe that's worth it. Maybe that's worth it. You know, I've heard people say it's easier to fix than to prevent. And you'll waste a lot more time trying to build the ideal architecture or model. Just iterate, you know, and refactor as needed. There's some truth to that. However, I, I would suggest a dose of moderation, which is that enterprise data is still an you know, and enter, enterprise asset that deserves both uh, both incremental, you know, tactical investment as well as strategic thinking. So it's not that I don't think that you should work on data strategy, data architecture, uh, the you know, long term uh, uh, planning as and and gap analysis and road mapping at a at a high level and a strategic level. It's just that I think that those things can go on in parallel uh, with with what's going on from an agile delivery standpoint. And the so basically, the sooner we get going delivering functionality, the more well-informed our strategic and architecture efforts will be. And again, if we accept that rework is okay, refactoring is fine, then we don't have to take on refactoring as a huge project that we do after two years of, of iterations. We, we can refactor as part of, of our sprints. And so there does also need to be enough respect and control of their own destiny within the, uh, the Agile teams to make those kinds of investments in refactoring. Uh, if they are pushed too hard to deliver user stories 100% of their time or, or um, or 99% of their time, that's not going to give them the time to adjust to the things that are happening from a strategy and architecture standpoint. So that's really the ideal is that there's a certain amount of time that you just accept is, is about refactoring and moving towards enterprise standards and as those standards emerge and change. And that's, um, and that kind of having to touch your objects again is not a bad thing either because oftentimes you, you find ways to make make those components better anyway while you're in there. Now, you mentioned something earlier about roles. Uh, and I think um, in an agile world, roles are more fluid. 
That's kind of what I think you hinted at. Whereas in the old world of waterfall, it's more of an assembly line where specialists work on one thing and one thing only, and then they throw it over the wall to the next. So tell me a little bit about, you know, how roles change in this world of JIT design and agile. Well, very often what you end up with, um, you know, if, you're, if you've got a, say a data warehouse BI uh, team that you're, that you're putting together to, to do agile, you're probably bringing together resources that have uh, maybe a data architect uh, slash data modeler, uh, maybe uh, some possibly some specialized business data analysts uh, that, that just know the, the contents of the data really well. Um, and then you've got your BI architect and developer, ETL architect and developer roles. And, you know, that's kind of roughly. And then you may have a tester, too. And, and that's, that's something that some, uh, some teams uh, try to employ, uh, is, is bringing in a, someone with a lot of uh, background in testing, which is you know, often a good idea. Uh, now, once that team gets together, though, they, you know, for one thing, they're a relatively small team usually. You know, for, for agile teams to work, they have to be uh, relatively small units. And, and that requires a certain amount of backup just to make sure that things keep moving. Uh, you know, if someone's out sick or whatever, you, you have to have the ability for someone else to pick up and move forward. Uh, but the, the bigger uh, demand here is this just-in-time design. Um, as well as the influence of, of doing test-driven development, where there isn't, uh, there isn't an ability to just wait around for whoever uh, is the specialist in this particular area to do the data modeling, for instance. Uh, the data, maybe there's the data analyst that's been involved, the business data analyst has been involved and the BI developer, and they, are, uh, they, they have to get something ready here today. And the, uh, and the person who is a data architect is working on a different story today. Uh, so uh, very often what you want to see happen there is that those people are expanding their skills um, into data modeling uh, and actively trying to get better at that. And so they take a crack at it and they, and they go ahead with something. Uh, and then they get the input of that first, that, that more expert person on the team. And that the, in this way, you kind of constantly have the different people on the team recognizing what each other's backgrounds are and and levels of experience are, and helping each other uh, try that out in a, uh, a lowish risk environment, where we're touching base with our teammates on a daily basis about things like this and getting them to look over our shoulder for 10 minutes, because that makes all the difference sometimes. Does that make sense? Oh, absolutely. Absolutely. And I think people get more vested in the project when they're not a specialist, when they when they're they can, they can see the beginning to the end of the project, which is what a sprint team does. Um, right. And right. I've actually seen companies take that to a logical conclusion of having one person be the sprint sprint team. That's a role we call a spanner. They, they do everything from gathering requirements to doing QA and testing. Fairly unusual, but usually in startup environments, uh, we, we see that take place. And and then there's a lot of uh, motivation there because one, you're on the line, you're accountable, but also once you deliver, it's yours. You know, you can be proud of it. And, and I think we see just with uh, same with agile teams, uh, you know, a higher degree of motivation and, and investment in the outcomes. Um, That's exactly right. Yeah. Um, <clears throat> so I also wanted to ask you, um, 
I think you hinted that a person who's on one sprint team, like a data architect, may actually be on another sprint team or two or more. Is that common? Or are people completely dedicated to one team and one team only? It's probably more common than it should be. Um, but that being said, there it, it it depends on the size of the organization. You know, you talked about the fact that, like in a startup environment, you have the need to have a spanner. You know, uh, there is no there's no other option. There's it's not a huge team. You know, well, plenty of organizations are small to mid size and uh, and are going to uh, have a limited amount of of resources where they're where they do have to have people. Uh, representing uh, multiple teams, and I, I think that the most important thing when that is necessary is to have working agreements between the teams that um, that everybody can look to to say this is how we split up the resources. You know, this is we we have a way of deciding who's going, you know, how much time each person's, you know, the people who are split up are going to work in the different sprint teams. Right, right. And it has to have something to do with, with balancing the priorities um, of, of what those different sprint teams have. And ideally, you would, you would name a sprint team as a just more important sprint team. That right. If, if push comes to shove, and, and Wayne is assigned to two different sprint teams, Wayne is going to work on sprint uh, sprint team A because that sprint team A has the priority in the organization. Well, isn't it part of the agile process that you define your capacity both as a team and an individual within a team? Yes, okay. absolutely, absolutely. And I think that that's that's the other uh, another important point is is to keep agile teams, if at all possible, together for many iterations. You get more value out of a team and they get better and better at things like just-in-time design the more times they get to iterate on it together. So, you know, that, and obviously in different environments, you have dynamic staffing situations. You have, um, you know, maybe lots of contractors or high turnover or, or whatever, uh, you know, uh, whatever happens. But to the degree that's possible, a well-formed, self-organizing team is usually one that's been around for a while together, you know, and they're able to, to develop a culture. And when, when a team of people are able to develop a culture that's unique to them uh, as a team, they just, that's that, that it factor that, that organizational uh, researchers and stuff are always after. Right. Is that it factor. And I think some of it has to do with the with having a team that's been able to gel and then repeat success over and over. So one of the problems I've seen with Agile is with a role that you actually did not mention, and that's the product owner or basically the business representative. So I've seen organizations where the IT or the technical team has gotten training you know, they got the, the, the religion about Agile and Scrum and they want to do it, but they actually can't convince the business to spend enough time. They, they really don't want to be on an Agile team. It's, I think from their perspective, it takes too much time or they don't believe in the process. And isn't this IT's job anyway, just to go go away and build it and come back later and, and then we can tell them how bad it is? You know, I... Uh, so I see the business connecting with the business being an issue. 
Do you see the same thing? Yeah, I see. I definitely see that as being a big issue. I see business staff that is just not not staffed for this. You know, they and especially too much uh, single threading of of business data expertise within the business units, uh, where even in fairly large large organizations, you go well. If you need to be talking about customer dimension data then you have to have Peggy involved. Peggy has been around forever. She's the only one who knows how to make marketing and sales talk to each other when it comes to this. And then you go, okay, let's get Peggy in on this. We need her, you know, uh, we need her on this team. And they say, well, no, you can't have Peggy because she's on seven other projects. She, everybody wants the same person, you know? And that, that is a major, major problem. And, uh, I don't know that there's that there's much of a mitigation strategy other than business needs to staff up and they need to start cross training more when it comes to uh, business data knowledge and business process knowledge, and they uh, they will need more bench strength than they have today, and it's it's a tough message sometimes where you go well sure you say you've got the money to spend, say, on, uh, on bringing in a, a development team. But if you don't have the time to spend to, to really participate with them, then, then it can't be done. So uh, running a little bit out of time here, but, but sure. one important question is training. And, and, and mm-hmm. what amount of training, what type of training, what type of coaching is required to make this JIT design agile really work both for the technical team and the business team and perhaps their managers on both sides of the aisle? Sure. Well, I think that, um, you know, having a a strong basis in your basics of data management is, is good and is important, but there's all the, the agile aspect of it. There's, you know, there's definitely a few different good training options out there. Um, There are conferences on this. Uh, and a number of good books that have been written. Uh, but I have seen tons of success with companies bringing in agile coaches. You know, and, and sometimes they bring them in for a few days and sometimes they bring them in for a few years, you know, and, and everything in between. But uh, actually bringing in uh, people or, or sometimes they hire them in full time. Uh, I have one client, in fact, who's just hired uh, a full-time Agile coach, and I think that it's a perfect, uh, it was a perfect choice, uh, both with the person and for the choice of bringing in that role, because they just see Agile as being such a, uh, a large task to, to properly implement it, and there's so much on the line with it that they are uh, focusing resources on uh, on a change management person that is focused on agile. And I think that's, that's the way to go. Well, Aaron, this has been uh, delightful. A lot of great ideas came out in a short period of time. So thank you for participating in our show. Thanks so much, Wayne. This has been really fun. Thanks for listening. If you like the podcast, please subscribe. If you want more content from business intelligence to data management to data science, browse to the Eckerson Group website at eckerson.com.